Hello and welcome to the Plus Podcast. I'm Rachel Thomas. Quantum physics is a funny thing and has many counterintuitive ideas that we the public find very hard to come to grips with. Ideas such as superposition of something almost as if it's in two places at once or quantum entanglement, the idea of objects separated by great distances yet behaving as if they were somehow linked to each other. What's reassuring is that the mysteries of quantum physics are something that physicists themselves puzzle over and also philosophers of science. And we attended a conference in Oxford in September about quantum physics and the nature of reality that asked just these sorts of questions. The conference was somewhat unusual as not only did it bring together physicists and philosophers, one of the purposes of the conference was also to create a list of open questions in the area that might drive future research so that we can better understand how quantum physics describes the nature of reality. We spoke to Professor Andrew Briggs, one of the organisers of the conference. So, Professor Briggs, as one of the conference organisers, why did you decide to organise this particular conference, bring together this mix of people and sort of with the aim of, of creating these questions? Well, the more we are able to do quantum experiments in the laboratory that exploit the deeper resources of quantum mechanics, by which I mean superposition, things can be here and there at the same time, and entanglement, whereby measurements you make on one system can correlate uh, almost as if by magic with measurements you make on another system in a way that goes beyond anything we can explain in terms of our everyday experience. The more you're able to do that in the laboratory, the more it, it makes you want to explore two directions. One direction is how you can use these deeper quantum resources for technologies. And I believe that in the coming years we'll see more and more technologies becoming available that take advantage of that. But the other direction in which you want to explore is to understand what's going on at a deep level. And the more we get these quantum systems to work in the laboratory, the more baffled I become as to what's actually going on. And this seemed to be a fantastic opportunity to bring together people who are actually doing experiments and people who are working on the theory of those experiments or the theory of the deep fundamentals of quantum and people who've thought about these things at a philosophical level and people who've thought about them at, at a, a, to some extent a, a religious and theological level and provide a forum in which they can interact and although people have different areas of professional expertise, I think it's right to say that everyone we brought together for this conference shares a passion of getting to a deeper understanding of what's really going on. The conference was also being held to honour the 80th birthday of John Polkinghorne. 
Professor Polkinghorne has led a dual career, first working for more than 20 years as a theoretical physicist before training to become a priest. Um, so, shall I refer to you as Professor Polkinghorne or Reverend Polkinghorne? Oh, Dr. Polkinghorne. I asked you almost anything. Oh, Professor Polkinghorne. No. How are you enjoying the conference so far? I'm enjoying the conference very much. Um, I'm learning a lot of new things, and I think I'm understanding some of the old things a bit better than I did before, so it's, it's been very, very exciting, and things are going on, particularly, I think, among the experimentalists. They're able to investigate things and see things happening in a detail that hasn't been possible before, and that, that is already illuminating, and potentially will be, I think, very illuminating. And um, one of the things that, that was interesting to me is the conference is quite different to other ones I've attended, in that part of the purpose of the conference is to actually formulate some questions to, to sort of drive further investigation. Um, why do you think it's important to, to create new questions to explore and why is it particularly the sort of fundamental aspects of quantum theory that's important that we Im- continue to visit those? Well quantum theory is, is, is perhaps the biggest revolution in, in physics that's happened since the days of Isaac Newton. It depicts a world which is quite different from the world of our everyday experience, cloudy and fitful in its character. And to understand that world is, is uh, part of our understanding of, of, of a wider world than, than simply the, the, what goes on in a laboratory. And so I think it's very important to explore these things. So at this conference, we've been looking at what you might call a, a, a number of trees in the quantum wood. I particular theoretical insights and particular experimental um, techniques and results. The questions are attempt, I think, to uh, look at the quantum wood as a whole and to locate it within a wider landscape. So um, what does what does the cloudiness and veiled character of the quantum world convey to us? What does its fitfulness convey to us? Um, th- these are important questions that go beyond, beyond a sort of narrow professional interest in physics itself. And I very much welcome, therefore, the fact that the conference, though it has an enormous amount of technical expertise representative is, is, is looking at the wider picture. And, and I, it's interesting for me as well that there's a strong philosophical aspect to the questions to be asked about the nature of reality. Well, I think, I think fundamental physics, absolutely basic physics, has always been very close to the frontier, both with philosophy and, and with theology. And quantum physics perhaps the closest of all because of its unusual and unexpected counterintuitive in character, so um, I think that's extremely appropriate for these issues are on the agenda. And um, you're, you've obviously led a, a slightly unusual career in that you worked as a, as a theoretical physicist for um, a long period of time and then, then had a second career in religion. Well, basically I think the science and, and religion are friends and not foes, basically because they're both concerned with the search for truth. Of course, it's different kinds of truth, different levels of truth that they're looking at. But that common quest and the fact that both are looking for, in my view, looking for truth through motivated beliefs, not just plucking things out of the air, gives them, I think, a cousinly relationship. Mm-hmm. And do you have any long-term hopes for where quantum theory might go, um, you know, where the future of quantum theory might go? Well, I do have a hope that, that, that as I said, that these investigative techniques are able to look in greater detail about the processes by which things happen, not simply say, it's happened. I think that, 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 that that's very promising for the future. Exactly where it will lead, I don't know. That's the attraction of physics. You don't know what, exactly what you're going to find around the next corner. But it's nice to turn the next corner in order to see what's, what's waiting you there.
Next, we spoke to Professor Nicholas Gizin about the role of randomness in quantum physics, and we went on to discuss some of the more counterintuitive ideas that arise in the theory. People have an everyday idea of, of randomness. Um, the randomness that you were talking about, true randomness, how does that differ from people's everyday notions of randomness? Well, usually randomness uh, is just associated to ignorance. Uh, so, for instance, I don't remember exactly where I put my bike. Nevertheless, my bike has definitely a position. And quantum physics, we encounter a very different kind of randomness, where the randomness is really intrinsic. And so it's not only that I don't know what the system is going to do or what my measurement result will be, but even nature doesn't know, even the system itself doesn't know. So it's really in a, in a state where it has certain propensity to uh, turn out one way or the other, but it is not predetermined. And um, just the final session we had was sort of uh, an attempt to uh, finalise these open questions. Were there any questions that you were particularly struck by that you think are, will be particularly interesting and may lead to sort of um, very exciting new research or results in quantum physics? Yes, well, there are many, many of all of these questions are interesting and, and, and many are maybe especially interesting to me. Let me just mention two of them. One is this idea of um, why is quantum uh, non-locality not more non-local than it is? What is the physical principle that limits actually quantum non-locality? I find that a very timely and interesting and fascinating question. The other one is maybe a bit more philosophical. It is this question whether we can ha have a realistic view of non-locality and special relativity simultaneously. Quantum entanglement, something Einstein once described as spooky action at a distance, is an example of this non-locality. And it turns out that the questions of non-locality and of how quantum theory links with special relativity go together, as Professor Gizen explains. Non-local correlations, so it's correlations between events that are, happen at very far apart locations and uh, that happens of course all the time but usually you can explain that with a story for instance you have uh, football players and the left wing and right wing stop running at the same time because uh, the umpire has whistled so you can understand the correlation with a story that explains the the result by just having a kind of local cause that propagates locally to both ends and uh, it so happens that in quantum physics there are correlations between distant events that cannot be uh, explained by a story in space-time. Which is where the link between uh, relativity and uh, quantum physics comes is, is still to be finalized, really. Exactly, exactly. So, so this, this, this tension between uh, the observed non-local quantum correlations uh, is between is with a special relativity that says that nothing can go faster than the speed of light. Now exactly what is nothing? There's certainly no communication. It's not exactly true that nothing can go faster than the speed of light. But to find out exactly what in this case goes faster than the speed of light is the, the, the question. We talked to philosopher David Wallace about why it is important to address these fundamental questions in quantum physics. 
Largely, it's about feeling that it's very hard to make conceptual progress in quantum mechanics, in particular, if you're if, if you're if you're building on sand, if you're very unsure of your footing there. We've got a scientific theory that's clearly extremely successful. It also seems, uh, at least on the surface, to be a theory that we can't do it. Nonetheless, we can't make sense of it in the conventional way. So something's really wrong. Really wrong. Something. So, what, which of these sort of missing parts? Which of these things that cause problems? Which of those do you think are the most uh, important to try and to solve, to iron out? I think there's only really one, but it's all of them at the same time. It's how does one understand quantum mechanics? It's um, uh, you know, what do we have to replace? Is, is this theory we can make sense of in the ordinary way we make sense of scientific theories? Um, that more or less leads us towards something like the many worlds theory or is it something that can't be made sense of unless we've just changed the way we think about scientific theories or is it something that can't be made sense of at all and we have to change the theory entirely that's your kind of space of options now I think those until you've answered that question you can't really make serious progress on almost anything else from a sort of philosophical point of view at least if not that's obviously we've done a profound amount technically of quantum mechanics despite that Esteemed theoretical physicist Roger Penrose obviously agrees with David Wallace's third option. There are limits to quantum physics and we're going to have to change the theory. My point of view is that rather than try to interpret quantum mechanics, which is what lots of people seem to concentrate on, it's more trying to see ways in which present-day quantum mechanics has its limits and how it might be modified. Because although it's an extremely powerful and uh, successful theory explaining many things that couldn't be explained before it has puzzles about it which some people think of as difficulties in interpretation but which personally I think it's showing the limits of the theory that the theory will actually with experiments that are perhaps a little outside what can be performed at the present um, maybe in I don't know how many years (laughs) I would guess within the next decade, but that may be a little optimistic, we'll be able to probe the theory over a range where I think you'll start to see differences from what the present theory says. Do you have an idea where, what the theory beyond quantum mechanics would be? That is a much bigger challenge. I think it's possible to suggest plausible limitations to quantum mechanics to cover what the new theory would be to replace it is simply a a problem of a completely different magnitude. My feeling is it is a bit like Einstein's general relativity itself, which was a completely different way of looking at gravity, but it provides almost exactly the same answers as Newton's theory. And the perspective you have on on what's going on is utterly different. It makes almost no difference. So it'll be something like that. It'll be something where the predictions of quantum mechanics it's almost exactly the same as those of quantum mechanics but in certain circumstances you would see slight deviations Experimentalist Andrea Morello told us that perhaps we just all have to get used to the mysteries inherent in quantum physics and learn to take them in our stride and he explained that the experiments are fast catching up to the fundamental limits of quantum theory uh, so, Andrea, um, I'm interrupting your biscuit and your, and your coffee. Um, I, I'm asking people about why they've come to the conference and what they hope to get out of coming to this conference. Well, the reason I came here is that I'm an experimentalist working on basically individual quantum bits. 
And I'm very interested in finding out whether there are some fundamental questions about quantum mechanics, about the reality of quantum mechanics, about meaning of the wave function, about transition from quantum to classical behavior that could be answered by certain you know, well-designed experiments. So my interest is in running hard experiments to test fundamental questions. So I came here to find out whether there is some experimentally testable theory that I could get involved with. Some of the sort of big questions that are being talked about today, do you think any of those are close to being resolved? Uh, do you think that um, we're close to sort of um, extensions to quantum theory which might answer problems such as relativity or the measurement problem or you know some of these sorts of issues? Um, if that's the case, I'm not seeing it, put it that way. But I'll tell you what's happening. Something that's many people don't seem to realize or, or give enough importance is that in the last 10 years the progress made in the actual you know, factual experimental control of quantum systems, small or big has made humongous progress and so things that only 10 or 15 years ago seemed completely esoteric are now, you know cup of tea and so my impression is that the border of what is you know, esoteric quantum mechanics and what is daily job of some half-decent PhD student in some half-decent lab is moving at a very fast pace. And so I think it is, uh, it is sometimes the case that theorists and philosophers don't run as fast as, as experiments do. So maybe quantum physics has gone from being a place where experiments had to catch up, now the theorists have to move faster themselves. Well, the theorists simply have to, uh, I think, recognize that so far uh, there hasn't been much... I mean, mo most people know that, but there really hasn't... I I'm not aware of any real violation of quantum mechanics. I mean, no indication that quantum mechanics as we know it could be wrong. Essentially, the, the matter that has been debated here is has got a lot to do with, I think, um, human attitude towards knowledge, you know, like the way we think of... There was this talk today about, you know, quantum mechanics doesn't explain, and so it's not good enough, you know, but it doesn't explain, but it predicts, and it shows, and it, you know... So I think there is, a, there is a strong human component in the discomfort that people have with quantum mechanics, whereas on the ground it always works and it keeps working on a bigger and bigger and bigger ground. So quantum mechanics, you know, it's, it's proving to be a very strong theory. The experiments are showing that and it's just a matter of almost us adjusting to, the, to its, its strangeness in some ways. Yeah, like when I, I teach a course of quantum mechanics for engineers in my university, and the first thing I tell my students, because they're completely you know, unaware, they're engineers, you know, they, they're curious, but they're, you know, it's all new for them. And what I tell them is quantum mechanics is like riding a bicycle. You know, if you came from you know, some, some far away you know, rainforest country and never seen a bicycle in your life, and someone told you, oh, let's go and have a bike ride, you would think, you stupid, that thing only has two wheels. It will fall on one side or the other, right? How can I ride that thing? But once you get used to that, it becomes the most natural thing. So riding bicycles is not a natural thing for humans to do, but with a little bit of exercise, it actually becomes such. 
And so I think that much of what's being debated in these circles is a matter of learning to ride a bicycle instead of, you know, looking at it from the distance and wondering, hmm, but maybe we should add more wheels to that or maybe, you know. That's very good. Thank you very much. <laughs> so there you have it. Quantum physics is really just like riding a bike. That's all we've got time for in this podcast, but you can read more about quantum physics in PLUS on plus.math.org. Happy reading and goodbye.